Archdiocese of Sioux Falls Office of Adult Faith Formation, this is the Prairie Rome Companion with Dr. Chris Bergwald. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Prairie Rome Companion. I am your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and in this episode we are going to look at what it means to be Catholic in the sense of how it's a 24-7 job, so to speak. Uh, before we get into today's topic, I just want to mention that next week's podcast is going to be a little bit delayed. In fact, it's probably going to come out uh, after the first Sunday of Advent. So let's see, Friday is the first, so uh, probably around the fourth or fifth, because I'm going to have an interview with our diocesan liturgical master of ceremonies, Father Martin Lawrence. And I'm going to uh, ask Father Martin about the theological and spiritual significance of the season of Advent, as will be uh, by the time the podcast airs in the season of Advent and preparing for the Feast of Christmas. Uh, So just uh, sort of a heads up on that. Uh, And this podcast as well, um, well, you're listening to it, so you know that it came out a little bit delayed. Uh, we had Thanksgiving, so it was delayed slightly. And that's the reason why this fifth episode will be is coming out uh, the week after Thanksgiving. So today's topic, though, uh, being Catholic, it's a 24-7 job. And what I want to do is sort of illustrate the, the problem that I think we face uh, as, as Catholics and as the Catholic Church, especially in Western civilization, by giving a couple of examples from uh, one from popular culture and one from philosophy. And with the popular culture, the, the example from popular culture, uh, I'm going to play an audio clip from the 2004 movie Collateral starring Tom Cruise and uh, Jamie Foxx. Tom Cruise, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, Tom Cruise plays a a character named Vincent who is an assassin for hire. And he uh, gets in a cab driven uh, in in Los Angeles, driven by uh, Jamie Foxx's character, Max. Max doesn't realize who his new fare is, and he's just driving around to these various... Uh, locations, but it turns out he's driving to to the various uh, hits that Vincent is doing, and ultimately fa- Max finds out what's going on, and then then you have this uh, night long uh, driving around Los Angeles and and the interaction and what's going to happen and so on with Max. Uh, in this clip, you're going to hear Vincent and Max talking right after uh, Max. Well, in the clip, you hear that Max has just asked Vincent what they do. In other words, what, the, why are the, why is he killing these people? You know, what they do that he's causing them to kill them. And, and Vincent will explain uh, why he doesn't really know, but he's just hired to do the job and explain it. And then there's this really, to me, uh, very, very interesting uh, dialogue that lasts about, I think, 30 seconds at the end of the clip. So we'll just go ahead and listen to the clip right now. Then what they do? How do I know, you know? Look at that. Witness for the prosecution looked at me. Probably some major federal indictment of somebody who majorly does not want to get indicted. So that's the reason. That's the why. There's no reason. There's no good reason. There's no bad reason to live or to die. Then what are you? Indifferent. Here with it. Millions of galaxies of hundreds of millions of stars and a speck on one. That's us, lost in space. The cop, you, me. Who notices?
was with you. If you've never seen the movie and you, and you haven't heard this clip before, what I'd recommend before we go on is that you go back and listen to it once more. Uh, just uh, in, in whatever player you're using. Back up and listen to the clip once, one, one or two time, more times uh, before you continue. And I'm going to pause to let you do that here for a minute. The reason I, I think it's so important to listen to this clip again is is that, that dialogue at the end of the clip. Max says, so that's the reason. So that, that's why you're killing these guys. And Vincent responds, that's the why. There's no reason. There's no good reason. There's no bad reason to live or to die. Then what are you? Indifferent. Get with it. Millions of galaxies of hundreds of millions of stars and a speck on one, a speck on one in a blink. That's us, lost in space. The cop, you, me, who notices? And, and Max finishes the clip. What's with you? What's with Vincent? What's, I mean, he's got a, really a, a pretty depressing attitude. Uh, and, and what I want to do is give another example now of, of a similar perspective from the early 20th century. Bertrand Russell was an English philosopher, a well-known uh, writer because he wrote a lot against Christianity. And one of his essays, written in 1903, is called A Free Man's Worship. And in here, he, he explains how, according to science, so to speak, or as far as he is concerned, at least, according to science, we know that uh, human beings uh, are, are the product of co- uh, the completely random process of evolution and everything that it means to be human, um, our loves, every, the things we believe, and so on, are just the product of random interaction of atoms. And he talks about how uh, there's nothing that will survive beyond the grave. Uh, no heroism, no, no love, no intensity of thought or feeling. Everything that it means to be, everything that human civilization has created is, is destined to be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. He says, and then he concludes, only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Uh, Again, I think it's safe to say that that is uh, a pretty depressing outlook, um, both of these instances, the the, the, the f- fictional character of Vincent from the movie Collateral and this uh, passage from Bertrand Russell's essay, A Free Man's Worship, both of these give evidence to the philosophy of nihilism or nihilism, uh, as it can also be pronounced. Nihilism comes from the Latin word nihil, which means nothing. If you think about the uh, the word annihilate, to annihilate something is to uh, utterly and completely destroy it so that there's nothing left. Annihilate's root in, in Latin is nihil, which again means nothing. Nihilism, though, as a philosophy, basically says that God does not exist, and therefore, because the God does not exist, we as human beings have no dignity, no meaning, and, and life has no meaning, and ultimately, the entire universe has no meaning. There is no meaning uh, because there is no God. And, and, and that this is, 
this is true is actually held both by philosophers, uh, atheist philosophers and theistic philosophers. Both, both sides agree, or members of both camps agree, that if there is no God, then there is no meaning. Uh, there's a French uh, uh, philosopher who's still alive, late 20th century, early 21st century philosopher, Jacques Derrida, D-E-R-R-I-D-A. Uh, he's a, what's called a post-modernist philosopher. And he is one of those, uh, as an atheist, who has articulated this. There is no God and there is no meaning. Okay. Now, this nihilism is a very dismal outlook, but in fact, it's actually an honest one. Why do I say that? Well, because it's true. If there is no God, then there is no meaning. In other words, atheists who try to to believe and live as if there is meaning in their lives in the universe are actually fooling themselves. Because there's no way to argue that there is a meaning if you first deny God's existence. Uh, the, you, you, you have to be inconsistent, in other words, fundamentally, if you're going to say that God doesn't exist, but there is meaning in my life or the universe. There's, there's a fundamental inconsistency uh, in, in, in the way that you think and the way you understand reality. So we should all try to be at least consistent in the sense that what we believe should should be consistent with everything that we do uh, and everything else that we believe. Atheists who try to find meaning, in fact, are being inconsistent and, in a sense, dishonest with themselves. But what about us? What about Catholics? Are we consistent? Are we honest with ourselves? In other words, does our outlook on life correspond with our belief in God? Or, perhaps, is there a lack of correspondence a lack of agreement between what we believe and how we live. In other words, do we believe in God and and seek to give him his due role in our life? And here I want to read two quotations from church documents. The first is from the Vatican II document, Gaudium et Spes, the Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World. And this is from uh, Article 43. They are mistaken who think that religion consists in acts of worship alone and in the discharge of certain moral obligations, and who imagine they can plunge plunge themselves into earthly affairs in such a way as to imply that these are are altogether divorced from the religious life. This rupture between the faith which many profess and their daily lives deserves to be counted among the more grave errors of our age." And that last line is the crucial one. This rupture between the faith which many profess and their daily lives deserves to be counted among the more grave errors of our age. And then that, that was from 1965, the end of Vatican II. And then 10 years later, Pope Paul VI wrote a document on the evangelization of peoples in 1975. And in there, he uses very similar language. He says, the rupture between the gospel and the culture The rupture between the gospel and culture is without a doubt the damaging event of our time or our epoch. The rupture between the gospel and culture is without a doubt the damaging event of our epoch. What's going on here? This split that both Vatican II and Pope uh, Paul VI refer to, uh, this split between the gospel, the faith which people profess, and their lives, their culture, What's the, what's the origin of this problem? The, or what is this problem, more particularly? Basically, the problem is secularism. What is secularism? 
according to John Paul II, in address in an address he gave to the to some of the bishops from Australia in 2004, he said that this is what this is what he said to the to the bishops from Australia. It is true that the pernicious ideology of secularism has found fertile ground in Australia. At the root of this disturbing development is the attempt to promote a vision of humanity without God. That's basically what secularism secularism is. The attempt to promote a vision of humanity without God. So trying to live our lives, trying to create human culture, human civilization without God apart from God. Basically, secularism is the view that God has no part to play in our lives. And it's a problem not just in Australia, but really throughout Western advanced nations, uh, Western Europe, the United States, Canada, and so on. In all of these countries, Catholics often fail to make God a part of their daily lives. They often fail to order their lives with him in mind. When this happens... When, when we as Catholics assert that God exists but fail to make him part of our daily lives, fail to integrate him into our existence, we are like the dishonest atheist because our life does not match our belief. We profess to believe in God, but that profession of faith becomes practically meaningless in our daily lives. And this uh, leads us back to another uh, philosopher, this this time from the end of the 19th century, the German philosopher, one of the first nihilists, Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche is is famous, and he, he was made famous in the 60s, actually, 20 years, or sorry, 60 years after his death by Time magazine, when they put on the the cover of the magazine his his most famous dictum. Nietzsche said, God is dead. And he went on to say, and we killed him. God is dead, and we killed him. Now, this sounds like a very strange statement to make, to be honest. Uh, But in fact, I think we can say that for many Catholics, it's a true statement. What do I mean by this? Well, too often, we as Catholics, and other Christians as well, have limited God. And in so doing, in limiting him, we have killed him. We have made him, made him, in a sense, non-existent for some part or even the vast majority of our lives. This is not God's intention. It's not his intention that we make him, or try to make him at least, non-existent for any part of our lives. It's obviously not his intention that we, in a sense, try to kill him uh, by making him irrelevant or not present for part of our lives. When God became man, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on our human nature, he took on all of our nature, not just part of it. He took on everything about what it means to be human except for our sin. And this means that every aspect of our lives, every aspect of what it means to be human, has been changed and affected in a radical way by the Incarnation. By the fact, the reality of God becoming man, the fact, the reality of the God-man, every aspect of what it means to be human has been impacted, has been restructured in a profound and radical way. Jesus has impacted every part of our existence. In other words, he has something to say beyond Sunday mornings. Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, our Lord and Savior, isn't just interested in our attendance at Mass or even just in our daily prayer. He is interested in everything that we do. Every single aspect of our existence, every single dimension of our lives 
is of interest to Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, too many of us as Catholics and other Christians, too many of us compartmentalize God. We make him one part of our lives, which is virtually equal to all others. So we we might organize our our lives by our work, by our play, our families, our sleep, and our God as well. We, we, we assign to God one sector, one aspect of our lives. Uh, it may be a, a large aspect, it may be a small, smaller aspect, but he's got his own place within our lives. Basically, all too often, we put God in a little box in our lives, and we politely ask him to stay put. Unfortunately, this is not what it means to be Catholic. As followers of Jesus Christ, by virtue of our baptism, as members of his body, which is the church, we are called to recognize Christ's impact on every dimension of our lives. We are called as Christians and as Catholic Christians to structure everything that we do with an awareness of his presence, with an awareness of how he has changed everything. And I mean everything. Our faith should be reflected in every aspect of our lives. Now, that, that includes the sort of simpler things that we think about, the structure of our days, our weeks, and the year. And, and in other words, how we, we pray daily, uh, we attend Mass weekly, and so on. But also, our jobs, should, should ref, how we work, should reflect our faith, as should our involvement in our civic community, civic organizations and communities as should how we raise our children, for those of us who are married, and even how we live together as man and wife in terms of our intimate lives. And our faith should also also be reflected in our political perspectives. And this is, frankly, has been and continues to be somewhat controversial, at least for many American Catholics. Catholics who get upset when our bishops and our priests uh, during election times when they get upset with their bishops and priests during the election times, often fail to understand that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and his church aren't content to stay put in the time slot that we have assigned to them on Sunday mornings. God and his church aren't, don't want to just stay where we ask them to stay, that is Sunday mornings. The word Catholic means universal, and that universality applies to our lives. Our faith is meant to shape every aspect of our lives, as as we've been saying, and that includes our lives as citizens of a city, a state, and a nation. In other words, our lives as 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 citizens are political are our political perspectives, our politics. The fact is religion should mix with politics. And if it doesn't, frankly, it's not the Catholic Christian religion. Our faith must impact everything we do. Having said this, why do so many Catholics fail to see God's impact? Why do they fail to make room for him in their lives? Well, to answer this question, we need to distinguish between two ways in which God and our faith in him can impact our lives. Two understandings of relationship between God and faith in him and our daily lives. Many Catholics see God rightly as the foundation upon which we are built. Uh, They see God as as the cause of our existence. Unfortunately, many Catholics also take this view a little bit too strongly and see God merely or simply as the foundation of our being, instead of seeing him as the ultimate goal of our existence. 
And, and really, the, this perspective, seeing God just as the foundation of our being, is basically identical with the philosophy of deism. Deism, D-E-I-S-M, is the philosophy that says that God does exist, but he has no involvement with the creation that he has created. So, so God is sort of like a, uh, a watchmaker, who, who, or a, a watchwinder, rather, who winds up a clock and then leaves it to run on its own. He doesn't get involved in it again. So God created the universe, but has stepped back and, and has nothing to do. Uh, maybe he's bowling or something. Whatever he's doing, he's not involved with creation. He's left it to run on its own. That's what deism is. And this, this view that many Catholics have about how God impacts our lives is actually very similar to, if not identical, with deism. Recognizing this, we see that this is an important factor as to, in order to understand why so many of us fail to make God a part of our daily lives. And we're going to see so momentarily, uh, in other words, how, how does this false understanding of God's relationship with our lives, which is similar to deism, how does this result in a failure to make God part of a lot, our lives? We'll look at that, but first I want to turn to the other view. Um, the other view, which sees God not just as the foundation of our being, but also as our ultimate and primary meaning. God created everything, and he created everything for some purpose. But among all of creation, visible creation at least, we as human beings alone were created with a supernatural purpose, a supernatural goal. That purpose, that goal being union with God, Life with God for all eternity, forever. Built into the depths of the human being is a desire for God, a longing for God. Among all of creation, we alone desire the infinite. We alone have a desire for perfect, infinite joy and delight. That means that nothing finite, nothing limited... Nothing created, in other words, can fulfill us, can make us truly happy in the deepest sense of the, of the word. We as human beings always want more, more happiness, more joy, more contentment, more bliss. This desire for more is our desire ultimately for God, and it's a desire that he has given to us. God created us, he created us, and he created us for him. We're, in other words, we were created by God for God. So communion with him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, is the ultimate purpose of our existence. God wants us to be completely and truly happy in the deepest, most profound sense of the word. And, in order to, and, and that happens only by our union with him. There's a quote here, a phrase from the early church saint, St. Irenaeus, who said, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. God is glorified when man is fully alive. God, in other words, desires that we live life to the fullest. He doesn't want us to live miserable lives. He wants us to live lives of authentic, deep, and profound joy and delight. The glory of God is man fully alive. And this really gets to the, the proper sense of what our relationship with, or the relationship between God and our lives ought to be. Our goal is a supernatural one. 
And when we properly understand how God is not just the foundation of our being, but also our goal, we see that he is the generator, the source of meaning in our lives. God and his, his life, his grace, is meant to pervade all of our being. He's not just a clockmaker who winds us up. He is also continually keep us, keeping us in his existence and wants to share his own divine life with us. Now, again, as I said, unfortunately, this is not a view held by many Catholics, at least in America. Uh, many Catholics hold the first view that God is just the foundation of our lives, and, and they, don't, they don't realize that he is also the ultimate meaning of our lives. Now, they haven't sat down and sort of figured this out theoretically to, to realize how God is, is more than— or they haven't thought it through and concluded, well, God is just the foundation of my life, and well, that's all. Uh, it's, it's much more implicit than that. Nonetheless, even though it's implicit, it's very evident, unfortunately, in, in, in the lives of many Catholics. Too many of us, again, too many of us too often restrict God to Sunday mornings. And this is indicative of the first inadequate notion of our relationship with God, which sees him just as, as, the, as the foundation of our lives, the foundation of our existence. Well, what does this matter, this, this erroneous view about God just being the foundation of our lives? Well, as we see through history, ideas have consequences. Ideas, good ideas have a, and bad ideas, have a way of working themselves out over time. And in this case, an, an inadequate understanding of God's role in our lives, in human existence, an inadequate understanding of God's role, of the fact that he is our ultimate destiny, our ultimate purpose, our goal, results in a life lived with little place for God. In other words, by just seeing or failing to recognize that God is our ultimate destiny, we naturally tend to give him a, a, only a small place in our lives. What we are called to do as Catholics is to recognize and help, help our fellow Catholics and others recognize that this idea, this erroneous, this inadequate perspective has real life consequences. We have to realize and help others realize that this idea and its consequences will, in fact, ultimately fail to fulfill our deepest longings and our deepest desires. Again, we are created by God for God. If our infinite, insatiable desire for perfect happiness is to be fulfilled, we have to turn to God because he is the only one who can satisfy our infinite desire. He alone is infinite. This means turning to him in everything that we do and everything we, that we believe. This is the Catholic faith. This is the Catholic understanding of what it means to be human. We cannot restrict God to Sunday morning alone. We need to make sure that we have the proper theoretical understanding of the relationship between God and our daily lives. And then we need to make sure that we implement that understanding in our lives. Why do we do this? Because the, the glory of God is man fully alive. Because this is the path to the, the, the pure, the infinite happiness and joy that God wants, wants for us. So that's why we should do it, because it's ultimately how we are to perfect ourselves as human beings. How do we do it, though? How do we bring that proper understanding of, of the relationship between God and our daily lives seeing him as the, the, the ultimate goal, the purpose, the meaning of our lives, and how that should pervade everything we do. How do we bring that concretely into our lives? 
Well, I think there are, there are a few things, basic things, things we've heard before uh, that can help us get started. First of all, we need to commit ourselves or recommit ourselves to weekly mass attendance. We need to commit ourselves or recommit ourselves to a daily life of prayer and regular confession. And these first things are crucial because it's through prayer, our private prayer and the prayer of the church in in Mass, and then the reception of the sacraments like confession. It's through this that we encounter God at at the most profound level, the level of prayer. Uh, We encounter God most consciously in the sense that we, we are in communion with him, we're in conversation with him in our prayer. And in the liturgy of the church, especially in the Mass, we receive his very life, in in the, the Holy Eucharist. Okay, so so in order to see how God impacts everything we do, we have to begin by recommitting ourselves to living with him uh, in, in, the, in the most profound and spiritual sense through a life of prayer. But beyond that, we need to commit ourselves or recommit ourselves to studying the church teaching on living the Christian life, on, on, on what it means to to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And there are all sorts of documents that over the next several months we're going to begin looking at on, on living the Christian life, uh, all sorts of church documents uh, in particular. And what we really need to do is pray about how we can apply the church's teaching to our own circumstances, to our own lives, and then doing so. We need to pray for, uh, for discernment and for prudence in particular, I think. In other words, how is God calling me in my particular circumstance, in my particular life, to implement the teachings that he has revealed to us about what it means to be Christian? Pray more particularly, more concretely, about how asking God to make clear how we can structure our lives and make him the goal, the meaning of, of everything that we do. And if we do these things, make these commitments or recommitments, ultimately our lives, our entire lives, will begin to change. And ultimately, eventually, that change in our lives will become apparent and attractive to others. And, and when they ask us, when they, when they notice that you know, there's just something different about us, because there should be, we are called to live our faith so profoundly, live it out in every aspect of our existence, that people notice that there's something different about us and something that attracts them to us. And when they ask us about you know, you know what's up with you, basically, we have to be ready to tell them our secret, so to speak. We have to be ready to tell them that we have met the infinite. We have met the, that which fulfills our desire for continual infinite happiness. And that is God, and particularly we have met his son, Jesus Christ, who became man for us. We always have to be ready to, to give that answer when we, are, when we are asked. And if we're doing those things, praying, receiving the sacraments, attending Mass as regularly, every Sunday and more often as po- if possible, praying for prudence and discernment, as, as well as the other virtues, becoming virtuous, living the virtuous life, the life of holiness, the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ, we will know how to respond to them. The words will be there. The, the Spirit will speak through us. God desires our perfection. He desires our ultimate happiness. He desires that we be completed in him. But we're only going to experience this completion, this perfection, this happiness, if we allow him into the entirety of our existence. If we allow him in his life, the life of grace, to pervade everything that we do and everything that we are. That is the challenge that I think we are called as Catholics and as Christians in general to, to 
embrace, to engage, in particular in our day and age, to when when the gospel and the culture uh, are so profoundly split as they are, when the faith that many profess is almost divorced from their daily lives, we are called to recommit ourselves to to letting God embrace everything that we do, letting Him into all of our of all of our being, all of our existence. And in so doing, we will begin, not just obviously we will be growing in holiness ourselves, but we will become a sign, a beacon of hope, of truth, of love to others and to our culture. And I think this is what, really what we are called to do in this particular time and age, as Vatican II and John Paul the Great and Pope Benedict have called us to do. Again, as always, if you have any questions about this podcast, feel free to contact me by email, cbergwald, that's C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D, at sfcatholic.org, or give me a call, 605-988-3763. I welcome feedback. I encourage feedback. Uh, Constructive criticism is is always useful. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me and... Uh, with that, we this fifth episode of Prayer Room Companion is finished, and we'll, we'll see you next time for an interview with Father Martin Lawrence on the, the theological and spiritual significance of the season of Advent. God bless you.